Good evening, everyone. Welcome to another Bible study session. Welcome to 2022. This is our first Bible study session for this year. Let us pray. Father Lord, we thank you. We thank you because you've brought us here today, this new year, this beautiful month of January. We, we thank you for the privilege to worship you and learn from your word as a community, as a tribe, as your extraordinary disciples. We ask that you open the eyes of our hearts today to hear what you're saying to us at this very moment. Lord, speak a word in due season to each and everyone listening to this message. Open the eyes of our faith to see that which is eternal so that we may move with a conviction that does not hold on to unbelief, even in the face of the impossibilities, the craziness and the chaos around us, but that our faith becomes empowered by your word and that our faith grows in confidence that with you, we can do all things, that with Christ, we can do all things because he gives us the strength and our faith is strengthened by the finished work of the cross. And in also knowing that Christ who started this work in us is faithful to complete it until the day that he returns. Holy Spirit, I ask that you give me the tongues of the ready writer and you speak through me today, not my words, but yours. Oh God, my Father, be with my mouth and teach me what you say every time I speak. Let me not speak in my own volition, but by your power. Give me a mouth of skillful words and wisdom. As I open my mouth, fill it with what I need to do your will in this moment. And I declare that I become lesser and lesser as you, Christ, becomes greater and greater in me. Lord, I thank you. And we thank you as a group because this prayer is not just for me, but it will also be become word in flesh in the lives of everyone listening that lord you will become greater and greater in them in the mighty name of jesus thank you lord in jesus name amen 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 so we're kicking off with john chapter 9 um from verses 1 to 19 but before we start let me do a quick recap from our last session which was over a month ago um we studied john 8 37 to 59 and so here's a quick recap from that last teaching where number one, where you focus determines what you will do and what you say. So if you focus on God, then you will do and speak as God does. If you focus on any other thing than God, then you will get the result of your focus. So what you focus determines how you respond and then the result of that. Um, number two, when a believer is being used by Satan to fulfill his purposes and plans and carry out his desires, then indirectly what Jesus was telling us that that person is of the devil and the desires of the, and the person is responding to the desire of Satan in that moment. Um, so we must pay in attention to ourselves and ask God to check our heart to see if we're operating in the desires of Satan. It's such a thin line because you can literally go between spirit and just doing being a bird vessel of the enemy. So it's so important to constantly do that check every day. Um, I, um, I was reading, I think it was Psalm 4 or so. And I kind of saw that the, the verse that says, do not go to bed, um, be angry and do not sin. And then right after that, it says, meditate in your heart. And so for, I don't even know why I'm saying this, but the way we, we would be angry and do not sin. So it's sometimes we have the emotion of anger, which is, it's okay to be angry, but do not let that anger turn to sin. And what the Lord says, what the Bible is saying, what David was saying is that you have to meditate in your heart. Um, and so at night, it says meditate in your heart at night and be still 
So for you to be able to let go of anger, you have to be still, you have to meditate in your heart. It's just, and I, that really stood out to me. And I think it's such a good thing to practice before we go to bed, take a bit of time to check your heart, check anything and ask the Holy Spirit to do a quick cleanse, you know, a quick review of your day, of your actions, of your emotions, and, you know, just let the Holy Spirit just do that work in us. Number three, as believers, our new identity is in Christ and we have his mind. So let's keep this in mind. We have the mind of Christ. Um, and then as we, so we must act on our true identity in Christ. That is the version of us that God created when he said, let us make man in our image. And we do this by following the leading of the Holy Spirit. As we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us day by day, step by step, we we surrender to the process of transformation where we become more and more like Christ. That is how we get to be like Christ. We must surrender to the Holy Spirit. Number four, people would attack your identity and your character. You don't need to defend your identity because that's who you are, but always defend your character. If you're a character bashed, always stand up and speak up for yourself. Finally, don't try to speak in the authority of God when he has not honored you to do or authorized you to do so. This is more for people that, you know, are going into ministry or want to speak representing God. Don't do it except God sends you because, yeah, <laughs> you don't want to go before God, basically. Um, so I'm going to read John chapter 9 from verses 1 to 19 in the Christian Standard Bible. Verse 1, as he, so Jesus was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? Verse three, neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that, God, so that God's works might be displayed in him. <clears throat> we must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Verse six, after he said these things, he spit on the ground, made some mud from the saliva and spread the mud on his eyes. Hmm. I mean, it's so random, but I wonder if we would have stayed. Like, can you imagine somebody spitting on, <laughs> spitting on the sand and rubbing your eyes? I'll be like, um, yeah, I'm not sure. Like, it's, it is, it's so off topic, but it's so interesting that some of the things that God tells us to do, it just seems odd. They're like, it's off and it seems like, oh, that's that's disgusting. <laughs> like, I'm sure a lot of people will not even allow Jesus to do that to them, to be honest. Like, think about it. Um, but yeah, that's just interesting. And Jesus said, Go, he told him, wash in the pool of um silo am, which means sent. So he left, washed, and came back seeing. His neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar said, isn't this the man who you sit begging? Hmm. Some said he's the one. Others were saying, no, no, but he looks like him. He kept saying, I'm the one. Verse 10. So they asked him, how were, you, were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes and told me, go to Siloam and wash. When I, so when I went and washed, I received my sight. Where is he? They asked. I don't know, he said. Verse 13, they brought the man who used to be blind to the Pharisees. The day that Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes was a Sabbath. Oops. 
<laughs> then the Pharisees asked him again how he received his sight. He put them, he said, he put more on my eyes. He told them, I washed and I can see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a sinful man perform such sign? And there was a division among them. Verse 17, and they asked the blind man, what do you see about him since he opened your eyes? He said, he's a prophet. The Jews did not believe this about him, that he was blind and received sight until they summoned the parents of the one who had received his sight. So they called the blind man's parents. Um, verse 19, they asked him, is this your son, the one who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? May the Lord bless the reading of his word. So jumping right in, verse one to five, you see Jesus passed by the man and he saw the man who was blind from birth. Um, so then Jesus was immediately drawn to him. So how did Jesus know that he was blind from birth? Well, I believe that because he was fully God, even though he was also fully man, he could discern the root cause of the issue. His divine discernment kicked in. The Holy Spirit quickened him to the man and made it known to him that this man was blind from birth. Second, it is also very possible that it, had, it may have been well known in town that this man was born blind, right? Because, I mean, they called him the beggar, like they had labeled him, like people had labeled him with his disability, like he was born blind, became a beggar, and that's just how we saw him, and it had now become his identity. This is crazy, but this is what, this is what we do, right? We label people based on, you know, People, we can easily label people based on their dysfunction, their deficiency, their disability, or their fault. And then we automatically turn their dysfunction into their identity. <laughs> the disciples then asked him, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? It was the understanding of men back then. And even now, that if a child was born or is born with a disability or some sort of a dysfunction, then it is maybe the child or the parent that sinned and as a result of that sin God is punishing them with this disability right and I find this interesting because I keep saying the word just repeats itself that the way these guys think is, is is the way we think now that when something bad happens to happens to us we automatically ask God why did this why did you allow this to happen to me like our first is like oh God why why <laughs> especially when it's something bad like Oh my God, why, God, why did you allow the pandemic? God, why did you, you know what I'm saying? Like we automatically go to God and like try to push that blame on him. You know, many even think that it's God rewarding them for their sinful actions by giving them a sickness. Like people feel like sometimes God is punishing you for a mistake you made. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know I'm laughing. A mistake you made yesterday. Maybe that's why you're sick or that's why your life isn't going well. Or that's why somebody duped you. You know, we come up with all these things in our minds as to why bad things are happening to us, right? Like people saying that God punished me with a sick child. Wow. That is so, this is so, I'm here to tell you, this is not the God that we serve. It is anti-God. God, God gives perfect gifts. He can never give you a sick child. Never. Not possible. God does not cause sicknesses. Neither does he reward us with sicknesses. God is so mindful of you that he sent his son to die for you. That's how mindful he is. He sent his son to die for you so that you might have life and have it abundantly. The entirety of the God's being is anti-sickness. That is why he sent Jesus to correct that through his death and his resurrection. And then, but you might ask, so why do people fall sick? Why do people die of sickness? Why is there sickness? Well, because 
humanity and the world we live in is disconnected from God and the original intent of God for us. We are not operating as heaven on earth. When Adam fell, man was opened up to something called evil. Remember, they ate the, good, the tree of good and evil. Not bad, but evil. <laughs> That's the message for another day. And evil thrives in a sin-filled environment. And because sin has consequences, which in turn perpetuates evil, it now becomes this virtuous, um, vicious cycle that we live in. That's basically what's happening. We live in a vicious cycle, really. Sin, evil, sin, evil, just feeding itself. So sickness in the world came about as a result of this disconnect between man and God's original plan. And of course, man also plays a role in perpetuating evil on earth because some things that man creates, invents, or develops contaminate the environment, thereby creating an environment for sickness to thrive in, right? So as I said, there's so much to unpack here when it comes to how the earth is the Lord's, but he has given the man the authority over there because there's so many People are like, oh, but yeah, if God is in charge of everything, why is it this? Why is it that? That's that's such a deep topic. But the, the main point here is unless we partner with God to bring heaven to earth, earth will be earth. It would always have all this craziness, right? So just putting out, out there, um, I believe that's for someone that's going to listen to this, either now or later. So now to balance this conversation out, because with God is always a balance, James 5, 16 says, Confess your sins to one another so you might be healed. In this case, this man wasn't sick because there was any sin involved. But James 5.16 tells us that confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. It also means that there are some sicknesses that come as a result of sin, right? For example, HIV is a sexually transmitted disease. And if, let's say, somebody... I mean, not, I, well, if it's done, the, if sex is done maybe outside of marriage as God originally intended, and then the person gets HIV, that's just the consequence of that action, right? Um, so there are some things that lead to sickness in the body, right? Sometimes this sickness, is, um, this sickness may not even be physical. It may be mental or emotional, right? And the Bible says, when we expose any sin within us, then we open ourselves up to healing. This is why we need to speak. We must confront our thoughts and not internalize them, especially negative thoughts. We, we must open it up for healing. So whether it's physical, emotional, mental, when we, when we expose anything, it opens up, we open up ourselves to be healed. And this is why we must always ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the root cause of a matter. Because if we don't do that, then we begin to pray and miss, right? The Holy Spirit was the one that told Jesus, this is either the Holy Spirit or it was well known, right? That this is a, this sickness is as a result of, it was born that way so that God's work might be revealed. It was not as a result of sin, right? So we must be aware of what is happening in each scenario, especially when it comes to healing, right? Because healing is a very, very like, um, what's the word? It's a very, um, sensitive you know when it comes to god and healing and saying why why did someone get healed why did another person get healed it's very sensitive because there's so many dynamics involved in it but the the summary of the, what i'm saying is that we must always seek the holy spirit to know the root cause of the sickness so that he can guide us into 
how to solve the problem, right? So it is important to know that everyone's story is different and personalized, as I'm saying that. So this is why you, you can't just copy and paste results. So let God work in and through your situation individually and let us ask the Holy Spirit for, our, for details of our own case. That's the best way to approach healing. It's not a cookie cutter thing. Ask God, what is the root cause of this thing? And then ask him for the solution, right? That being said, sometimes some things happen to us that are out of our control so that the works of God can be revealed as in the case of this blind man. And this is why we need God's perspective on anything that we face that we find difficult to understand or challenging to accept. We must seek the perspective of God. Get God's perspective on matters that you are not sure about. Ephesians 1.18 says, and I pray that the eyes of your heart, the very center and core of your being may be enlightened, flooded with the light of the Holy Spirit. So we need the light of God to give us clarity, a higher point of view, and an elevated perspective concerning matters, especially matters that we're unsure or that, you know, we find challenging to accept or difficult to understand. In verse four and five, Jesus then switches into his teaching and his, you know, started dropping wisdom nuggets. He said, I must walk the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus was telling his disciples that he must heal this man now. Healing this man was part of his assignment, part of the assignments that he came for so that the works of God may be revealed. An assignment reveals, an assignment is important because it reveals the work of God. It is important to recognize an assignment versus a nice to do and or a mere job. <laughs> an assignment is the work of God that must be done. And, and Jesus is telling us something about the nature of assignments here. It doesn't last forever. Its designation to you doesn't last forever. You must work on your assignment while it's still day, while you still have energy, while you are still alive, while you have clarity, while you can still see the people who are to be impacted by your assignment. And Jesus said, you must focus on getting your assignment done as quickly as possible because night will always come and no one works at night. Night is a season of rest. Night is a season where you sleep. Night is a season when is a season of death. Night is when you have no energy. Perhaps you're too old to run around as much as you would have done when you were younger. Night is when God closes the assignment and says it is done. Night is when death comes. The reality is there's a time when you won't be able to work anymore. The time is when one dies. When one dies, you can't manifest your gifts. You can't work on your assignment. You can't walk your, in your purpose anymore. <laughs> you can only do this when you are alive. And this is what Jesus is saying. So this is what Jesus is telling us to do. As long as you are alive in this world and you have breath, you must work on the work God wants you to work on. The truth is, if you work on a nice to have and know what God has assigned to you, you will never reap the reward of your true calling and purpose on earth and in heaven. And when you get to heaven, you will see the life you could have had and the life you had, and then you'll be filled with regrets. <laughs> and we don't want that. I don't want that. You don't want that. This is why one of my highest goals is to get people to walk in the life God had planned for them from the foundations of the world. I'm here to reset you back to the original intent of your creator. In verse five, Jesus then begins to explain further what it means to walk while it is day. 
He said, walking while it is day means as I'm still alive, I must be the light of the world. To walk while it is day is to be the light of the world while you're still alive. That is it. Who are you light to? How many people have seen your light? How many people have seen the light of God powering you through the work that you do? How many blind people have received sight because of you? And doesn't it doesn't mean physically blind, spiritually blind, mentally blind, emotionally blind. How many destinies have been waiting for you to step into who God has called you to be so that you can reverse that thing that has held them bound from birth so that you can break that generational stronghold that has been holding them back? How many have seen the light of God in you? Our job, your job is to be light. You are born to be light and not to be liked. I will say that again. You are born to be light and not to be liked. You are born to be light and not to blend with darkness. Matthew 5, 14 to 16 says, you, 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 you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. A lot of people say they are shy or that they are introverts or they are private people. And as such, they don't want to be out there. But the truth is, if you are light from the very core of your being, you can't hide it. You actually can't because that is who you are. You don't see light. Like you can't see the sun hiding except it is nighttime and it becomes moon anyways because the sun powers the moon. So sun does not hide. You can't, you can't hide sun. <laughs> it's just what it is. You can't hide light, right? So you would have to put yourself out there in one way or the other. <clears throat> and I don't just mean being on social media or on a public platform, but you have to be light to other people, not just yourself or your immediate family, but to people outside of your circle. Imagine if Jesus just came to die for himself or his family members, or even just the Jews, where would we be today? In this verse, we see that if you are the light of the world, then you are a city set on a hill and you cannot be hidden. And if this is you, do not be afraid to stand out on the hill so that everyone can see. And if you are not yet or not at the stage where you are a city set on a hill, you can definitely be a lamp set on a lampstand because Jesus gave us two options. You also can be hidden. Your light will light up the house. And back then, the house was always filled with both family and guests. So your light must reach a larger crowd than you and your immediate family. This on its own is a full message. I wouldn't go into it, but the main point is this. Either way, light cannot hide itself. You can't be hidden, whether you are the light of the world or a lamp that, that lights up a house. Either way, you cannot be hidden. And why do we shine our light? In verse 16, it says, our light has to shine before other men so that they may see the good works God is doing in and through us and to glorify him. This means you this also means that you can have dim light that doesn't shine or illuminate. Your light in Nigeria, they have low current. That light, you can barely see anything. Your light has to shine. It says, let your light so shine 
before men. It means there's an intensity that your light has to shine. Your light has to shine because it is said, let it so shine. The emphasis is on that it has to so shine. Dim light is only for you and maybe a few people around you, but bright light will light up a whole room. You can't be dim light. It's not possible. It is not your destiny to be dim light. Shining our light is how we get the glory to Jesus and giving back his inheritance that God promised him. This is why we must shine our light. It's not for us. It's because the more you shine your light, the more Christ gets his glory. And this is what Jesus did here in the story of the blind man. He did the work of healing the man to reveal God and other people saw the work and even the blind man, blind man glorified God. So my question to you today is, are you shining your light? Whether you're a city set on a hill or a lamp on a lampstand, lighting your house and your neighborhood, are you shining your light? Imagine if Jesus walked past that blind man, Jesus wouldn't have full, fulfilled his identity as the light of the world. He wouldn't have fulfilled his assignment to reveal the work of God through that man. And definitely the, blind, the man would have died blind. <laughs> How many people are going to die blind or disabled, or disabled physically or mentally or not fulfill their divine destiny because you refuse to step up as the light God has called you to be? You must walk in your purpose and calling. You must express your gifts and discern your God-given assignment. Your job is to be light and to so shine. And today I decree and declare, arise and shine for your light is now. Arise and shine for your light is now. I call you forth from your sleep and I illuminate you by the fire of the Holy Ghost. That from today, there is a passion that burns within you that will keep your light burning. You will keep your light burning by the power of the Holy Ghost. In verses six to nine, we see Jesus explaining what it meant to be light. And then he, and then after that, he went ahead to actually do the work. So he spat on the ground. He created thick paste with sand and his saliva to, and then put, the, put that paste on his man's eye. His saliva represented his DNA and the sand represented dust man was made from. So of course our saliva contains our DNA. And since the DNA of Jesus is divine, it contained healing properties in, in it. And this activated the healing as Christ mixed it with dust. And you know, it was just using it to pretty much give him new eyes, basically. Like, you know, dust from man and all that. Just say man, like, yeah. So Jesus literally gave him new eyes. I would even also say that the saliva can be representative of the blood of Jesus Christ because the blood of Jesus brings life. And because the life of an animal or any human is in his blood, I would suggest that the saliva was representative of the blood of Jesus. You know, Jesus hadn't gone to the cross yet, right? So he couldn't have cut himself <laughs> um, and used his blood technically, right? So he used saliva, something representative of his blood. This also shows us an example of another kind of healing miracle, a miracle that requires the DNA of Jesus to activate the healing. Again, remember I said earlier, when it comes to healing, you must ask the Holy Spirit for specificity, for specific details of what to do. Um. And because right now we have access to the blood of Jesus as the DNA of Jesus Christ himself, as his DNA of God, you know, sometimes healing miracles require the activation of the blood of Jesus. And this is why communion is key. 
and is a key tool and key access for divine healing. Do not sleep on communion. <clears throat> a lot of the sicknesses and things that we face, communion is meant to reverse that. That's the truth. Then Jesus instructed him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man obeyed as instructed and he came back fully healed. If the man never went to wash his eyes in that pool, he wouldn't have been healed. If he didn't obey the instructions, he wouldn't have been healed. The action of him washing his eyes removed the clay from his eyes with every other debris of blindness that came with it and he was made whole. This is why we must obey instructions because instructions, they, they mimic a spiritual corollary of what, how God does his work. So we must always obey the instructions that God gives us. Don't, there's no partial obedience. There's no disobedience for sure. Partial obedience is even bad because then you'll be like, God, but you gave me a word and I obeyed. But no, you didn't because you did it your own way. It must be, you must follow the instructions as verbatim, as God instructed, as the word of God instructs you or as a prophet instructs you. And if we follow the analogy of the way the blood works, one of the attributes of the blood is that it cleanses and it washes away sin, infirmity, affliction, diseases, and all that, right? So the man needed to wash off the clay as a representation of the blood washing away and cleansing out that sickness. So Jesus was patterning his blood cleansing and washing. And that was how he was able to heal the man before he had died. Remember, Jesus hadn't gone to the cross yet. But after his death, Jesus has made his blood available to us, right? Where we're able to do these things with specific instructions from the Holy Spirit. So we pray, Lord, let your blood cleanse us. We take communion and we follow the instructions of God. So him washing himself in the pool was just imitating what the blood does, cleansing and washing. So we can learn two things from here. As I said, obey the instructions exactly the way God gives you. We, through whatever vessel, through his word, directly through a prophet, through whatever means, right? Or even just a friend, whatever the Holy Spirit himself gives instructions, right? And that the blood of Jesus has strong healing properties. So there's two things, obeying, obeying instructions and the blood of Jesus is so powerful, strong healing properties that can make a person who is blind physically or even spiritually see. Revelations 3.18 says, I counsel you, to buy from me gold that has been heated and refined by fire so that you might become you may become truly rich and white clothes representing righteousness so clothe yourself so that the shame of your nakedness will not be seen and i shall to put on your eyes so that you might see and that's where i want to emphasize today we need jesus to anoint our eyes so that we can see we need to see Especially in these days we are in, we need to see. We need eyes that see, that see beyond the physical lens, that see into what is behind the veil, the things covering the people. We need to see. We need the veils turned. We need the scales dropped off from our eyes. In verses 8 to 10, when the people saw the miracle, they were shocked. They were not sure if it was the blind man, but he confirmed it was him and he gave his testimony. There are some miracles God will do in your life. It will, they just say, it goes shock. People will wonder, is this really you? Like they'll literally be confused that until you testify or tell your story, they will forever be guessing if this is really you. 
This is why we tell our story, not just to boast or to share, but to enlighten people and to ignite belief in, belief in those who are skeptical or don't believe easily. This is called the miracle of transformation. This is what transformation looks like. Jesus literally transformed that entire man's life. Because of this healing, the man was transformed from being from a blind man that they labeled blind and be blind beggar to a regular man that can now be, be known in society, that can function in society. The labels associated with him were destroyed because of his healing. He was finally able to walk in his intended purpose because now he can now see a clear path to his destiny, literally and also figuratively, right? That's how he applies to us. So when God anoints our eyes and does that transformation work in us, we're able to see where we're going. We're able to see a clear path to the destiny that God has intended for us. And so the man testified and he said, it's me, it's me, it's me, but I'm different. <laughs> Friend, It's me, but I'm different. I've been transformed. That's just what it is. So this put curiosity in the people and they wanted to know where Jesus was, right? But the man didn't know where Jesus went. <laughs> When Jesus does a radical work of transformation in your life, people would want to meet Jesus. It's that obvious. Like, the truth is, if people are not trying to know Jesus from your life, I'm sorry, but your life has not been transformed by Jesus. It's not possible. And I'm speaking about this from experience. I know the difference of when I was just, just following Jesus as religion and when he transformed me. It's different. People would want to know Jesus when he really transforms you. I wanted to know Jesus when I heard someone preach and I was like, I want to know the Jesus that this person knows. That's how it works. If your people are not trying to know Jesus because of you, then you are not, you are not, be, you've not been transformed. It can't be hidden. As I said, the very core of who you are is light and you can't hide it. The sun cannot hide during the day. It's not possible. Even if it tried, it can't. It is just what it is, right? It would be so profound that people would want to know how someone can be transformed into a completely new version of themselves at such a capacity. That's the kind of work that Christ does in us. We must be transformed by Christ. It's beautiful. In verses 10 to 12, I would just like to point out a great format that we can use to share testimony. As someone who, this is me just being, as my cousin, um, um, I'm humble, open, and transparent. Testimonies, like when people share testimonies, I was like, guys, why are you going about it? Like, can we just get straight to the point? Why are your testimonies always, it's like most test, people share testimonies about them. Like they try to make it about them and not about God. And as I read this, I saw a great format that the man used and we can adopt to share a testimony, make it about God, not about, about ourselves. Let me not even go into that conversation. <laughs> but it shows us a great format that we can use. When people ask the man what happened, he told them exactly what happened. No fluff, no extras. I know the Holy Spirit has warned me about exaggerated truth where you, you embellish the truth. Nope, don't do that. No extras, no fluff. Resist the urge to over explain yourself. Just exactly what happened. He mentioned the person who did the miracle, which was Jesus, and who gave him the instructions, which was Jesus in this case. Sometimes it's the pastor, sometimes it's a prophet, you know, whatever the instruction, you know, uh, they're sharing the testimony. Always state the person who did the miracle and giving the instructions. And then he stated the instructions that Jesus gave him, and he mentioned the actions that he took, and then he stated the miracle. You will see clearly in verse 10 to 12 when you read it. 
He said who did the miracle and the instructions that were given. And he said how he obeyed the instructions. And then he stated what happened, right? He said, I received sight. Great format. Keeps testimony time from one hour to two minutes. <laughs> Just kidding. But in verse 13, um, we see the people. So verse 13, they brought the man that was blind to the Pharisee. So we see the people bring the man to the Pharisee and they'd ask Jesus, um, where the, they asked the man where Jesus was. And he was like, I, I don't know. <laughs> Jesus did the work God called him to do. And he walked away from the mob. He's like, I'm not going to get, <laughs> I'm just going to do what I'm, God called me to do. And I'm walking away from this mob fest because you know, you guys already know, we've been studying the life of Jesus and this guy and the Pharisees over there, always looking for an opportunity to just <laughs> pounce on him. <clears throat> so the point here is sometimes as the vessel you do your assignment and you move on from that vicinity, especially when the vicinity is hostile or does not receive you well. Don't wait for accolades or a rejoicing party. Just walk away. Is there a scripture for that? Yes. Matthew chapter 10, verse 12 to 14 says, and when you, when you go into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever will not receive you nor hear your word, when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Basically, walk away. That is what Jesus did. He just knew that <clears throat> this wasn't going to end well because he healed the man on the Sabbath day, right? So he was like, I'm going to do what God has called me to do and I'm going to walk away from this, right? But the people actually asked the man that question because it was, as I said, it was Sabbath day and Jesus was breaking the law. So that was the intention behind that question. And I kept asking the Holy Spirit, what is the essence of verse 12 in this context? And why does it matter in this story? And verse 12 specifically says, they said to him, that's the blind man, where is Jesus? And he said, I do not know. And I'm emphasizing this text because this verse was put here to illustrate the concept of motives. On the surface, it looks like the question was a sincere question, right? Like, it looked like they basically wanted to know who healed him and they were excited about it. Like, wow, oh my God, I want to hear more. Like, I'm so excited for you. Like, tell me more. <laughs> but no, this was not the case. They asked him that question so they could report Jesus to the Pharisees. How do I know this? In verse 13 and 14, it says, they brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now it was Sabbath. It was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Their intended motive was tied to their corresponding action, <laughs> which was to report someone disobeying the law. And in this case, it was Jesus. What I'm trying to say is we have to discern the motives of people. Why do we do this? Because it allows us to guard our heart and also guides our actions or our inactions. Can you see that Jesus walked away? Because he saw the question they will ask the man. Someone's motives is either revealed through their words, they speak, through the words that they speak or their corresponding actions. Because what, why is this the case? Is because out of the abundance and the depth of what is inside of your heart is what you actually say and how you act. You basically manifest who you are in the core of your being. It's just what it is. And this is why every time, occasionally, we must ask the Holy Spirit, test my heart. 
expose any wicked way in me so that we don't be, become victims and become people, borrowed vessels, or become people that our motives, you know, work against what God is doing in the lives of other people, right? And so the people brought the blind man to the Pharisees and they asked who healed him on a Sabbath. The man testified again and explained how he was healed by Jesus to them. Of course, because Jesus did this miracle on a Sabbath, they said he was not from God. But what did they, but what they didn't understand and grasp is that God is not about religion, right? And we know this already. Others even said, how, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And I thought, wow, that's so profound. They called him a sinner. Like, they didn't, these people didn't call him a sinner, but they labeled this, the man that is not from God as a sinner and literally were just saying, well, this, it means that Jesus will be a sinner. And I thought that was very interesting that they used the word sinner to describe Jesus, even though, as I said, this second group were challenging the Pharisees, but the fact that they even used that word is quite profound. And so I want to point out an underlying message in this text is that the use of the word sinner shows us the state of mind of these people, that they were religious, judgmental, clearly not passionate, compassionate about anyone going through a difficulty for sure. And they didn't care about the blind man getting healed on that day. It also means that in their mind, they designated anyone who disobeyed God's law a sinner. That's why they could use that example, right? So imagine if you were the blind man who had to wait till Monday to be healed when you could have been healed on that same day. <laughs> and they are basically arguing within themselves about whether Jesus is a sinner or not after doing this kind of be this beautiful miracle. It is only a fool who thinks tomorrow is promised <laughs> and procrastinates on their salvation or on their breakthrough or on their destiny. I will say that again. It is only a fool who thinks tomorrow is promised and procrastinates and procrastinates on their salvation or on their breakthrough or on their destiny. Second Corinthians chapter two, verse six, verse two says, behold, now is the appointed time. Behold, now, today is the day of salvation. <laughs> Hebrews 3, 7 says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear his voice, Today, 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 do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. Today, today, not tomorrow, today, right now. And even Jesus said it earlier, Work while it is still day. Just imagine if the man died that night. And if Jesus decided to obey the Sabbath and not God, <laughs> Jesus would have lost that one. If Jesus decided to obey the Sabbath and not God, <laughs> that is so profound. We must prioritize obeying God over any law, any religious practice or activity, or even our own preferences. If God is telling you, don't go to that event, don't go. Even if everybody is going, don't go. <laughs> Even if it's the, the most anointed event of this century and he says, don't go there, don't go. That is what it means to prioritize God over religion and activity. John, Jesus said in John chapter five, verse 19, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but, I, but what he sees his father do. For whatever he does, the son also does. That is what we, we're meant to imitate. We just, we do what God says. If he says, don't go there, don't go there. So why did they use the word sinner to describe Jesus? 
first of all, they condemned someone and labeled him based on the person's actions, right? So you should not condone bad actions, but don't condemn or label people because of their actions. You are not your actions and don't accept negative labels either because Jesus didn't do what they didn't do what they do on like on Sabbath, like by obeying that Sabbath, right? And we know that he did that a couple of times. He didn't obey the Sabbath a couple of times. And because he, he did work on the Sabbath and he didn't serve God the way they expected him to serve God, they called him a sinner. They labeled him a sinner basically, right? Because he wasn't serving God the way that they expected him to. This is hilarious and profound, but this is the bane of religion. Religious people or anyone who falls into the trap of religion will always tend to judge people who have a relationship with God that does not fit their own religious mode and way of thinking. It's just humans, we tend to judge or criticize or mock or ridicule what we don't fully understand and what is outside of our own frame of reference. So we begin to think something is wrong with that person. And this is what they did with Jesus. Second, it means from their description that a man is a sinner if he is truly not of God and has not been reconciled with God. And this type of man cannot do such signs of miraculous healings. Only someone who carries that kind of creative power of God can do that. And I think that this gives us a great definition of who a sinner is or a definition of the word like, of a sinner. A sinner is someone who is not of God who has not been reconciled to and with God. And without this reconciliation and relationship, you can't do miracles and such signs for God. You can't walk and do supernatural miracles like Jesus did. These miracles and the statements, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs, also tells us that some miracles cannot be mimicked or counterfeited by Satan and his cohorts. Not all signs are from God. Very important to know, especially in these times that we're in. Some are from the devil, but there are some signs like healing, specifically creative miracles, supernatural healing miracles that you know are from God. To be honest, I highly doubt that the enemy would give you a healing miracle. Like he will never do that kind of sign because he doesn't want you to get healed anyways. Because that is against his identity. His job, his role, his identity is to kill, to steal, and to destroy. So he will, healing cannot be one of his signs. It's not possible. It's not possible. So when you see a genuine healing miracle, it is most likely from God. Having said that and established the definition of a sinner as given in this text, it is clear that the Pharisees didn't believe Jesus was from God, but some also questioned the Pharisees' thought process, you know, and said, if he's really a sinner, he shouldn't be able to do these miracles, which this is true, right? Because the miracle is definitely a God miracle. And because of their differences in opinion, this led to division among them. I point this out to say that this is a profound reality, is that anytime there are two opposing thoughts that confront the same idea, where one group doesn't align with the other, there will always be division. The vision is simply divided vision. So when the vision is divided, there's division among people. We see this happen in the church today all the time. When there are two opposing thoughts confronting the same idea, right? And this is the biggest tactic of the enemy for the church to divide our vision. Because people perish because of lack of vision. 
And so if Satan can cause division amongst the people of God, then the people of God can and inadvertently perish. It's such a profound tactic and a lot of people don't see it. This is why we must ask God. And this is why God told us that this year, the word for community is see beyond. You must see beyond what's happening physically. You must see behind, you must see the back end, (laughs) behind the scenes, the truth behind the truth. We must see that. And finally, to wrap up in verse 19 to 17, the Pharisees asked the blind man, like what he had to say about Jesus. And he said, I think he's a prophet. I mean, only prophets literally have that kind of authority to partner with God to do such a creative miracle. Back then, and I believe that even now, like you must have a very high degree of relationship with God in that level to be able to do such a, such a creative miracle. The Jews still did not believe him. And so they called his parents to confirm if he was indeed born blind and to verify that it wasn't like a falsified miracle because to be honest, there are fake miracles we see out there, but there are certain miracles that it can, you can never fake it. It's not even possible. This one or such miracles, right? So the fundamental lesson here is this. People who do not believe, who do not believe have a tendency to seek confirmation and they would always want to confirm your story and testimony. Is this really true? Is it possible, right? But we know that we serve a God whom there is no impossibility because with him, all things are possible. And so with our God, we know that anything is possible. Anything is possible. And this is the authority. This is the confidence that we live and we walk in. And I'd like to end with this, Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Just like Jesus knew that the man was blind, born blind, in order to reveal the work of God, God also knows your pre-birth story. He knows why you were born and why God formed you. And my charge to us is that as we start this new year, Can we lean into discovering the version of us that God knew before we were formed in the womb? That is my charge for all of us this year as a community, as individuals. Let us lean into discovering the version of us God knew, that Jesus Christ knew before we were formed in in our mother's womb. Amen, amen, amen. Here are some key points to note that would enable us to live an extraordinary life. As we know, we're called extraordinary disciples. So I want us to begin to channel the extraordinary in us. Number one, we need the light of God to give us clarity, a higher point of view, and an elevated perspective concerning situations in our lives and even society. Number two, it is important to recognize an assignment versus a nice to do, a mere job. Um, an assignment is the work of God and you must work on your assignment while it is still day, while you are still alive. Number three, our job is to be light in whatever God has called us to do. You are born to be light and not to be liked. You are born to be light and not to blend with darkness. Light cannot hide itself. So it means you can be hidden. Again, whether you are the light of the world or a lamp that lights up a house, you cannot be hidden and your light must shine so bright. Finally, we must prioritize obeying God over any law or religious practice or activity or our own preferences, right? So this is very important. If we want to walk 
as extraordinary disciples, we are spirit-led. And the truth about it is that when you are spirit-led, the Holy Spirit, a lot of times, not a lot of times, because he always gives, the word is always like the go-to, but sometimes he will tell you to do something that is totally against what everybody's saying. Like everybody can be going right. He might tell you to go left. It might be okay for other people to go right, but for you, you can't. It's just what it is. So we must prioritize obeying God um, over like, you know, activity or whatever, right? So yeah, so that is the summary of today's teaching. So Holy Spirit, we thank you. We thank you for another time to fellowship with you and to learn from the word, to learn from Jesus Christ, our lead disciple, our role model, our mentor, our blueprint. We just want to say thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for giving us the privilege to go through the 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 prototype of Jesus Christ as the son of God through the study of the book of John. Lord, I declare that the that the eyes of our heart, the very center and the core of our being, be flooded with your light of the Holy Spirit. And that the Spirit of God opens our eyes to see, our hearts to discern, our spirits to know, and to cherish the hope to which Jesus Christ has called us, and the riches of Jesus Jesus's glorious inheritance in us, the saints, that we are his treasures in earthen vessel. This is the, this is the, that we are God's greatest miracle. We're his masterpiece. Lord, that you open our eyes to see who we are. You open our eyes to see who we are, who you've called us to be. The version of us that you formed in your own, you open us up to see that person. I declare that we are vessels of gold and silver, vessels of honor fit for the master's use. Holy Spirit, mold us, remake us, transform us, renew us, into vessels unto honor, useful for Adonai, our master. Lord, I ask that you delight in us as your vessels. Let us be pleasing in your sight. Let us be people that you want to hang around with. <laughs> Let us not have that kind of energy. You're like, I don't want to be with you. I don't want to hang around with you. Lord, give us good aura, good energy. Good, give good vibes. Make our heart a kingly home suitable for you to dwell in. Make our lives pleasing, holy, and acceptable to you. Make us more like you, Lord. I declare that we are the light of the world and a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. I declare that Ascend 11 community is the light of the world and a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. I declare that we are a lamp that gives light to all, to everyone who are in the house with us, everyone in our surrounding. I declare that we are light in our immediate environment and community and that we are light to our extended environment and the world. I declare that we are light that shines to others close to us and others far away from us. I declare that our light will shine so bright that our light cannot be ignored and that men will see the good works of God in and through us and glorify our Father in heaven. I declare that we will be vessels that bring Jesus his rightful inheritance as we honor God by shining our lights and giving him all the glory. I declare over you, arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of God is the, the glory of God is risen upon you. The glory of our Lord Jesus Christ is risen upon you. The glory of the Holy Spirit is risen upon you. I declare that kings will come to the brightness of your light, and nations will come to the rising of your light. 
your light will attract kings and nations and not mere men. I declare that your path is the path of the just and it shines brighter and brighter until the perfect day. I declare that your January will be brighter than your December 2021. Your January 2022 will be brighter than your December 2021. Your 2022 will be brighter than your 2021. That this decade will be brighter than last decade in every aspect of your life in the mighty name of Jesus. Every area of your life that you are believing God for light, I decree and declare, let there be light. Lord, I release the creative and the illuminative and the multidimensional light of God upon your children, Lord. And I ask you, God, that you usher them into a new level of clarity and light in you and in every aspect of their lives, in their relationships, in their finances, in their career, in their businesses, in their ministry, everything you've called them to do. Let there be light in the mighty name of Jesus. I declare over you, that in 2022, you will see beyond, as is the word of the Lord for our community. You will discern differently. You will see what eyes have not seen. You will hear what ears have not heard. You will speak what mouths have not spoken. I ask for clarity of vision of purpose. A clarity of vision, clarity of purpose, clarity of your assignment. I declare over you that the Lord will anoint your eyes with eye salve and he will give you the grace to be able to obey his instructions as he begins to open your eyes to see where to go. And he will begin to, as he begins to open your eyes to see where to go, as, begin to, as he's beginning to open your eyes to lead you into the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Lord, give us new eyes for our next level. Give us new eyes to see. Give us hearts that discern. Give us spirits that are awakened to your reality and not the realities of the world. Holy Spirit, open our eyes to see and our hearts to discern. We ask this, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus, Lord. Honor us with this prayer that you'll open our eyes to see and our hearts to discern. And I declare that God will do in your life in 2022 what God will do in your life in 2022 people and the old version of you won't be able to recognize you <laughs> hey hallelujah that the 2021 version of you will pale in comparison to this version of you that god is about to transform that god is about to birth forth and bring forth in 2022 i call you forth right now and i declare that this new version of you you will see where you're going in this new version of you you will see where you're going you will know who you have been called to be and you will, be, you will fully step into your divine purpose and calling in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, help our unbelief. If there's any area in our lives where we have doubt or we fall into the weight of expectation, the weariness, the weariness of anticipation, Lord, carry us and pray for us. Let your faith be a substitute for those moments when we fall short in our own belief and in our faith and in our trust, Lord, help our own belief. We surrender to you. We surrender to your leadership and your work in and through us. Lord, take your place in our hearts and we invite you to rule in the affairs of our lives. In the mighty name of Jesus, Lord, help us to do as our Father does. Holy Spirit, we are nothing without you. And we cannot do anything without you. Show us what the Father does and give us the grace to obey his instructions, Lord. 
Lord, glorify us with the glory that we had with you at the foundations of the world. The glory you formed us in before we were in our mother's womb. I declare that we will come in the volume of books written about us by God before we were formed in our mother's womb to do his will, to do his desires, and to do his good pleasures, and to do all that he has called us to do. I declare that in 2022, we will discover the version of us God knew before we were formed in our mother's womb in the mighty name of Jesus. And finally, Lord, I declare that every word I have spoken in prayer will not fall to the ground. It will not delay and it will accomplish that which it has been sent to do by the power of God and the immutability of his word. I envelope these prayers in the immunity protection that is the blood of Jesus Christ. And I declare that these prayers are signed, sealed, and delivered unto victory in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus Christ. We have prayed. Amen. 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 Thank you for listening to today's session. I hope you were blessed. I trust you were. Don't forget to invite your friends to the session or get them to sign up to receive our daily prayers and to get access to the bi-weekly Bible study session. The link is in the bio. See you next time.